Chapter 4 The Only Gospel That Has Saving Power For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 Scripture But though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach unto you any gospel other than that which we preached unto you, let him be anathema. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preacheth unto you any gospel other than that which ye received, let him be anathema. Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 through 9. My subject is the only gospel that has saving power. I have two texts, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 and Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 through 9. We hear much in these days about various gospels. Some extol the gospel of social service. Others talk of the gospel of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man, and others speak of the gospel of work, the social gospel, or various other gospels. But there is but one real gospel, only one gospel that in actual fact has saving power. That gospel is the gospel of Christ, the gospel which Paul preached, and of which he said if any man or even an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel, he would be accursed of God. All these gospels have one fatal fault. They don't save. These other gospels may sound virtuous, they may be described with enchanting rhetoric, they may be preached with great eloquence, with marvelous beauty of diction, with charming figures of speech, they may seem exceedingly alluring, but they don't save. For all their pretenses and prettiness, instead of saving, they darken, debase, and damn. They do not enlighten, elevate, and save. Man's Need of Salvation What man needs is salvation, not mere social uplift, moral improvement, or intellectual enlightenment. Man is lost. Every man is lost until he is definitely saved. The only thing that will save him is the gospel that Paul preached. Every man needs salvation from the guilt of sin. Every man and woman on this earth is a sinner. Every man and woman on this earth has been a great sinner. Every man and woman on this earth has broken the first and greatest of God's commandments, namely, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37-38 through 38. Every one of us, therefore, is a guilty sinner in the sight of a holy God, and we need salvation from the guilt of sin. That is the first need, the great need, the crying need, the fundamental need of every one of us. But every man also needs salvation from the power of sin. Sin has a hold upon every one of us, a mastery over every one of us that we cannot overcome in our own strength we must find a deliverer from the power of sin. The one universal need is the need of salvation, the need of salvation from the guilt and power of sin. The gospel has power to save. As our text puts it, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And no other religion or philosophy has power to save. Nothing else in all the world has power to save from the guilt and power of sin. What is the gospel? 
We come now right to the question. What is the gospel that has power to save? Gospel means, as I presume you all know, good news or glad tidings. What is the good news or the glad tidings that has saving power in it? Paul himself tells us what this gospel was that he preached, and of which he said, It is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. We are not left to speculate about that, for Paul himself defines in the simplest and most easily understood terms exactly what the gospel was that he preached, the gospel that had saving power, and the only gospel that has saving power. Paul's full and at the same time very plain description of the gospel which he preached is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. Now I make known unto you, brethren, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, wherein also ye stand, by which also ye are saved. I make known, I say, in what words I preached it unto you, if ye hold it fast, except ye believed in vain. And now comes the description of the gospel. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He hath been raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Notice first of all, in regard to this gospel that Paul preached, that the good news is facts, not theories, not speculations, not guesses, but solid, substantial, established, unmistakable, inescapable, absolutely sure facts. I am glad of that. Most of the Gospels one hears today are mere theories. The Gospel of Christ is facts, and the facts that constitute the good news were three. First, Christ died for our sins. That certainly is good news. You and I are sinners. Every one of us has sinned. If anyone today seeks to deny that he is a sinner, his denial that he is a sinner does not make him any less a sinner. Indeed, it makes him even more a sinner, for it makes him a liar as well as a sinner in other respects. As we read in 1 John 1, verse 8 and verse 10, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and His word is not in us. So by the denial of our sin, we do not make ourselves any less sinners, but we prove ourselves to be liars and make ourselves guilty of the enormous sin of making God a liar. That is what every Christian scientist does. He makes God a liar, and that is what everyone else who denies that he is a sinner does. He makes God a liar. God says that we are sinners, and when we deny that fact, we give the lie to God. Every man, therefore, who denies that he is a great sinner is a liar, and all liars, unless they repent, are bound for the eternal fire. For God says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8, The fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part shall be in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But not only are we sinners, but God is also holy, infinitely holy, and cannot tolerate sin. God is of purer eyes than to behold evil, and He canst not look on iniquity. And some day you and I must meet Him. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. 
we must meet Him bearing our sin, carrying all our own sin upon us, or find someone else to bear our sins for us. If we should meet this holy God with our sin upon us, then we must be forever banished from His presence and be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 But the Gospel tells us that someone else has borne our sin in our place. It tells us that a competent sin-bearer has been found. It tells us that Christ died for our sins, that the Lord Jesus paid our debt, all the debt we owe, that though sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Even Isaiah, seven hundred years before Christ, got a glimpse of this wonderful truth of the gospel. Speaking in the Holy Spirit, he said, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. So if we accept the Lord Jesus who died for our sins as our substitute Savior, then no matter how long we have sinned, no matter how greatly we have sinned, we can meet God with absolutely no sin upon us, for God Himself has put it upon another. So the Lord Jesus, by His death, saves us completely from all the guilt of sin. The second fact that goes to make up the gospel is that the Lord Jesus was buried. At first sight, it is not clear how this is good news, but it is good news. The fact of his burial shows the reality of his death and the actuality and literalness of his resurrection. The burial of Jesus Christ shows that the death of Jesus Christ was no sham death, no mere illusion. It was not merely a mortal thought, as the Christian scientists would have us believe. It was a real death and therefore it was a real atonement. All that Christian science and various other false systems offer us is a sham atonement for imaginary sin, and thus they offer us only a sham salvation. The gospel of Christ, the gospel that God makes known, the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel of a Savior who not only died but was also buried, offers us a real atonement for sins that we know are very real and very great, and therefore it offers us a real salvation from the guilt of sin. This true gospel says to the vilest sinner in the world, There is perfect pardon and justification for you, for the Son of God really died. He was really buried, and there is therefore a real and perfect salvation for you from all your guilt. Scripture, The blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 The third fact in the good news is that Jesus Christ rose again or as Paul puts it in his description of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 4 he hath been raised on the third day according to the scriptures That is certainly good news it is great news it is good news for many reasons but especially good news from the standpoint of salvation because it shows that Jesus Christ can not only save all from the guilt of sin by His atoning death, but that He can also save all from the power of sin by His resurrection power. As it is put in that wonderful verse in Hebrews, Wherefore also He is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 
We need not only salvation from the guilt of sin, but we also need, just as much, salvation from the power of sin. Suppose I were a great sinner, and through faith in Christ crucified should find salvation from all my guilt and perfect peace of conscience, and go out of here today very happy in the thought that all my sins were blotted out. Then suppose that tomorrow the same old temptations that have overcome me in the past, for example, the appetite for drink, some form of lust or impurity, an appetite for drugs, or an ungovernable temper should confront me, and I had no power to resist the temptation, and down I go, how much would such a salvation be worth? But Jesus Christ not only died and was buried, he also rose again. Today he lives and has all power in heaven and on earth, so he can save me from my appetite for drink, the power of any evil desire, my temper, or whatever my sin may be. However weak I may be, I can begin here and now to live a clean and victorious life. The following incident of a man who once called upon me in Chicago I have related before. This man sought a private interview, and when we had taken our seats alone in Mr. Moody's office, the man said, I want to tell you my story. He went on as follows. I am a Scotchman. When I was a child of seven over in Scotland, I began to read the Bible through. One day I came to a passage in Deuteronomy that told me that if I should keep the whole law of God a hundred years and then break it at one point after having kept it a hundred years, I would be under the curse of the broken law of God. Was that right? Yes, I replied. The Bible doesn't put it in just that way, but the Bible does say, Cursed be he that confirmeth not the words of this law to do them. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 26. That's the passage, he said. That I found and I knew that I had already broken the law of God, and therefore I knew that I was under the curse of the broken law. Though I was only seven years of age, I was in deep distress. Night after night I went to bed and wept myself to sleep, thinking how I was under the curse of the broken law of God. But I went on reading my Bible, and the next year, when I was eight years old, I came to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And all my burden rolled away. Was I converted? Well, I replied, that sounds like a good evangelical conversion. Let me tell you the rest of my story, he continued. I grew up to manhood. I came to America. I came out here to Chicago and found work down in the stockyards. I am living down in the stockyards. Now, the stockyards, as you know, are a hard place, and I got to drinking, and every little while I go off on a drunk. What I have come to ask you is if there is any way in which I can get victory over the drink. You have come just to the right place, I replied. I can answer your question. There is a way in which you can get victory over the drink. You have only believed half the gospel, and therefore you have only got half a salvation, I said. Let me show you the whole gospel. And I opened to the fifteenth chapter of First Corinthians and read, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. 
For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4 through Now, I went on, you have believed the first part of this gospel, that Christ died and was buried, and through believing that, you have found pardon and peace. Yes. But, I continued, that is only half the gospel. There is another half to it, and that is that he rose again. Do you believe that? I believe everything in the Bible, he replied. Again I asked, Do you believe that Jesus rose again the third day? Yes, I do. Very well, then. If he rose the third day, then he has all power in heaven and on earth. Yes. And he has power to keep you from the power of the drink and from the power of sin. Do you believe that? Yes, he said, I do. Will you trust him to do it? I will, he replied. Let us kneel down and tell God so, I said. We knelt side by side. I prayed first, and then he prayed. These were about the words he uttered. O God, I have been believing half the gospel, and I have had half a salvation. I have believed that part of the gospel that told me that Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures, and through believing that I have found pardon and peace. But now I have come to believe the other half of the gospel, that Christ not only died, but that He also rose again that He has all power in heaven and on earth, and that He has power to keep me from the power of the drink. Then He changed His mode of address and commenced speaking directly to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, He said, I believe You are risen from the dead, and I believe that You have all power in heaven and on earth. I believe that You have power to save me from the drink. O Lord Jesus, save me from the power of drink right now. I ask it in Your name. Amen. As he still knelt there with his head bowed in prayer, I said, Did you really trust him to do it? He replied, I did. He rose and I gave him some instruction as to how to make a success of this life upon which he had entered. He left the office and I didn't hear from him for some weeks. Then I received a brief letter. But the letter was very much to the point. It said, Dear Mr. Torrey, I am so glad I came to see you. It works. Yes, thank God it does work. It works with anyone who really believes it. The gospel of a Savior who died and was buried and rose again has power to save from the guilt of sin, and it also has power to save from the power of sin. It has power to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Jesus Christ, and it is the only gospel that can do it. The gospel of Christian science, with a sham death and a sham resurrection, cannot do it. The gospel of new thought cannot do it. The gospel of theosophy cannot do it. The gospel of social service, of which we hear so much today, cannot do it. No gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of a Savior who really died, who was really buried and who really rose again, can do it. A short while ago, a well-known pastor in Los Angeles announced that he was going to preach a gospel without an atonement of blood. Well, if he does, he will preach a gospel that cannot save. He will preach a gospel that will send men to hell and not a gospel that will ever fit men for heaven. 
And anyone who preaches a gospel that Christ died, but not a gospel that he rose again, will preach a gospel that will not save from the power of sin. But the gospel contained in this blessed book of God, the gospel that Jesus both died and rose again, will save. It will save from both the guilt and the power of sin. It will save to the uttermost. Whom the Gospel Saves But whom does the gospel save? It does not save everybody. This gospel has been proclaimed for more than 1,800 years, but it has not saved everybody yet, and it never will. There are many in these days who say the gospel is a failure because the great majority of men and women are not saved. They say Christianity is a failure because after 18 centuries our governments are not Christian and wars and other damnable things are still possible. But herein lies their mistake. God never intended the gospel to save everybody. He never gave it to save everybody. He never expected it to save everybody. He gave it to save those who would believe it, and only those. It is not Christianity that has failed, but man that has failed by rejecting this glorious gospel. The gospel has not failed because it has not saved everybody any more than a perfectly good medicine that will cure anybody who takes it fails when it doesn't cure those who don't take it. God has told us plainly from the beginning just who the gospel would save. Who does it save? Listen. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. This tells us whom the gospel saves. First, it saves those who believe. Not those who hear, but those who believe. The gospel does not save everyone who hears it. Millions of men have heard the gospel all through their lives, but died in their sins and went to hell. There are many who think that merely hearing the gospel or living in a Christian land makes them Christians. One night I approached a very intelligent-looking man in Duluth, Minnesota. I said to him, Are you a Christian? He replied, Certainly. Do you think I am a Muslim? He thought that simply because he was born and brought up in a Christian land and heard the gospel, he was a Christian. But that does not make him a Christian. Believing the gospel, not merely hearing it, is what saves. Believing the gospel and not merely hearing it is what makes one a Christian. The gospel does not even save the one who merely admires it. A man may have a great admiration for the gospel, for the profound philosophy of the Bible, and yet be an utterly unsaved man. The gospel saves the one who believes it, and him alone. The one who believes what? The gospel. Really believes it, believes it with the heart. The one who has that kind of faith is led to action. That faith will lead you to accept Christ as your atoning Savior and trust God to forgive you simply because Jesus Christ died in your place. It will lead you to accept Christ as your risen Savior and trust Him to deliver you from the power of sin. Having accepted Him, this faith will lead you to present an open confession of Him before the world. For it is written, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 10. This faith saves every one that believeth, 
as it says in our text, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There is not a man or woman today whom the gospel cannot save. There is not a man or woman in the world so sunken in sin, so lost to all that is good and true and pure, that the gospel cannot save if they will only believe. There is not a man or woman so utterly weak and helpless in sin that the gospel will not save them if they believe it. Why, then, is there a man or woman in the world who is not saved? Why is there a man or woman in the world who is not saved from the guilt and power of sin? Simply because he or she will not believe. Let me illustrate. There is a great mogul engine on the track. It is cold and has water in the boiler. There is fire under the boiler. The steam is up, and there is a full head of steam. There is power in that locomotive to draw a heavily loaded freight train up the steepest grade. Then that locomotive backs down to the train. The engineer reverses the lever and the locomotive starts up the grade, but not a car moves. Why not? Was it because there was no power in the locomotive to draw the train? No, there was plenty of power for that. What was the trouble? The brakeman had not put the coupling pin in. Then the locomotive backs down again and backs up to the train of cars. The brakeman goes between the tender of the locomotive and the train. He drops in a little coupling pin. Then the engineer reverses the lever and the locomotive starts up the track again. This time the train moves up the grade. In the same way, the gospel has power to save if you couple on. The gospel locomotive stands on the track. There is power in that locomotive to carry the train most heavily loaded with sin up the track. Steam is up, and it is starting up the grade to glory. It can pull you, no matter how heavily weighted you are with tons of sin, up the grade to glory. Fall in line. Couple on. Faith is the coupling pin. Just believe the gospel. It rests with every man and woman to say whether they will be saved or not, saved right now from the guilt and power of sin. It all depends upon whether they will or will not believe the gospel. Will you believe? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth.